up where you're at. Yeah. Do you know what happens though? Probably every five days is a massive thunderstorm and that's actually a lot of fun. Um, mm. First of all, it's dramatic. And second of all, it really clears the heat uh, just temporarily, you know? So yeah, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I ha- there's been some storms here as well and it's not like mega, mega downpour, but it just take the edge off the heat, which is really needed. So, um, mm. so yeah, it's a decent, um, decent combo. Um, yeah, please, you're, you're enjoying um, France, mate. Um, good to know. Good to know. Anywho, let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody. It's Brain Food Live on air, bringing it to you no, every Friday, no fail, no matter where we are. And today, today is the inaugural Hamburg version of Brain Food Live. I'm broadcasting this live from a city I've never been to before, but I arrived in uh, Hamburg earlier today. Uh, and I'm looking forward to spending the weekend here. Um, apparently, here's a factoid for you. Uh, Hamburg has more canals um, than um, than uh, Venice and Amsterdam combined. Wow. Um, so it is a very seaborne, or should we say waterborne type of, uh, type of city, uh, which befits um, a city that was once one of the major ports um, in Europe, of course. So very much looking forward to checking out the rest of the city. And I'm going to be meeting with a few uh, brain fooders later on tonight for a few drinks after this show um anyway um listen everybody um let's do a, f- a, a quick uh, some sound checks as we always do um uh, let me know in the chat whether you can hear me okay um i have got my travel mic on as you can see so hopefully you can hear me hear the audio fine i think adam's got a decent mic on as well so let me know in the chat whether that's that's okay uh, we should be blasting this out on a number of live streams as well so if you're watching this on linkedin um do let me know whether the audio and visual is okay um and we should be uh, ready to go let me just quick check on linkedin actually um because i have to do this on my phone because of course there's no multi-screen action here bring food live is very much a um uh, lo-fi show uh yeah we, we are on um on, on linkedin as well so that's good okay fantastic um well listen let's get on with the show um as usual uh, we want to we need to thank our sponsors before we go any much further forward uh and today i think this is actually the first time this year that hacker job have sponsored um uh this episode so uh, delighted to bring these guys on uh, the show one of the uk success stories to date when it comes to recruitment technology Always a huge presence in the uh, industry. Always a huge presence on Wreckfest. You see their event, um, uh, sort of their their tent uh, in the big event a couple of weeks ago. is absolutely fantastic. So wonderful to see their contributions to uh, the, the the richness of the community. Um, I'll tell you more about them, but there's no point because we can bring on one of the heroes of Hacker Job, um, and they can tell us all about it themselves. Um, so this is Sam Bertu. Um, who not only is going to give us a sponsor message, but uh, he's also going to fuel a lot of our conversation today uh, with a lot of proprietary data from the Hacker Job platform. Um, so, um, oh, wrong <laughs> camera. Yeah, half half ahead of Sam, um, but that's okay. It's probably your better half, Sam. You know, the the less face we see, the better. I think. Oh, there he is. What a good there looking lad. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, very good. Very good. Good to see you again. Nice to see you, Adam. Thanks for having me. Second time this year as well. No worries. You're always welcome, Sam. Your chat is always above average, mate. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, so it wonderful. Solid seven. <laughs> That's it. Six and a half. Fries hard. Um, but listen, Sam, um, we're going to bring you back to talk about the data. But whilst you're here and on screen, now is the time to tell the audience 
who is Hacker Job? What do you do? Who should care about it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're a private marketplace at its core. Um, so essentially, we flip the model and allow employers to connect with candidates rather than candidates to apply for employers. Um, largest technical audience in the UK, fastest growing in the US. Uh, we've got a remote presence of kind of 10% of our audience. Um, and then we have some borderless, um, you know, borderless products as well. So brand by Hacker Job. Um, and newly released this week um, is our new DE&I suite. Um, literally went live yesterday. Uh, we've got the full public launch coming afterwards. Um, but I will drop the link into the chat. Hopefully that's all made it there. As I did, I saw Claire Bush say tuneful, Sam. Um, you know, maybe that's uh, a LinkedIn tick you can give me on that. Um, I'm not sure what that's related to. Maybe I'll sing a tune at the end of this. Um, but that's, yeah, the, the rundown of Hacker Job top to bottom. Um, and as I say, re recently released this DE&I module, multifaceted tool, um, and powering that insights. And I think the advantage that we have, reverse marketplace, we understand why candidates don't want to apply for you. And then we can break that down by um, gender, ethnicity, neurodiversity, sexual orientation, um, support needed, like lots of different uh, demographic groups and, and kind of power your recruitment funnel, not just on Hacker Jobs. So yeah, really, really interesting uh, move from us. That's that's actually very it sounds very useful because um, a lot of companies are going blind in terms of their brand perception to different communities and different demographics. So if you're able to actually provide that information to them, they if they care about it, they can take a, you know um, a, 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 a sort of uh, actions to uh, to ameliorate that. So um, so yeah, absolutely, it sounds fantastic. Um, so Sam, listen, thanks a lot for that uh, for that message. We're going to bring you back towards the end of the show and we're going to talk about the metrics because we do want to talk about the tech hiring landscape. Um, and uh, Hacker Job, of course, uh, are one of those platforms that do have a very good window as to what's going on in terms of tech candidate behavior and also tech employer behavior. So we want to really dig into that as we go forward. So Sam, wonderful to see you, mate. We're going to hang awesome. around. We'll bring, we'll bring you back in a sec, okay? Yeah, we'll do. Looking forward to the content. See you soon. Cool. Remove Sam from the uh, chat. It's going to be very interesting. I didn't realize they actually had that module, but I'll, I really like that kind of, uh, you know, additional service that you might be able to provide because companies, you know, can only embrace that type of uh, availability of, uh, of intelligence. Anyway, let's review the newsletter real quick. Adam, uh, did you read it last week? If you did, what was interesting, mate? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the first thing I wanted to point out was Josh Burson's um uh white paper i don't know what you call it um information on artificial intelligence and the use of artificial intelligence in hr technology products i thought it was i thought it was very interesting the way that he segmented the three like into three different sort of levels of ai if you like the first one he described as emerging ai which is really simple artificial intelligence that can be used for analytics and data management, allowing companies to generate like simple recommendations like pay adjustments and things like that. He describes that as bolt-on AI features, which don't really change the underlying architecture. Um, I'm not entirely sure I'd describe that as emerging AI, because emerging AI to me sounds like something that's got massive potential and still isn't yet, uh, you know, is is, is just something that we're starting to discover. I think that's not really a description I'd give it, but what he, what he means is really very simple elements of mm. artificial intelligence, things that have been around for a long time. And then the second one 
that he talks about is what what he's calling first generation AI. So it's AI that's built in, in his words. And he describes that as things like machine learning, predictive analytics, um, candidate and employee matching. And then he talks about second generation AI. And that's products which are built on AI, built on AI from the ground up, data-centric solutions where they've maybe defined their entire product around the data that they are man managing and, and, and analyzing. And he's talking about things like neural networks, deep learning, large language models. And he's described, he, he's, he's referenced a few companies in HR tech that would fit into that. Um, one of the quotes that really stuck out to me was, um, second generation systems can amass hundreds of millions or billions of employee profiles. Um, I, I don't think there's any products out there that have got billions of employee profiles, but um, of course they could have. I mean, you could put billions of people onto a database, but um, I thought it was a interesting semi-technical description of where we are today. So I don't think a Luddite's going to be able to read it and follow it. Um, but I think if you already know a bit about artificial intelligence, you're going to be able to read that and uh, you're going to find it interesting. I, I didn't agree with all of it, but I, I, I certainly, you know, found it useful. Do you know what? I think you're the second person, in fact, the third person that's had very similar commentary to this. So in other words, the reading of it, not entirely on board or aligned with Joshua's view as to how that the classification worked and indeed the, the types of companies that exist within those classifications. Um, but it's worth the read because at least he's give it a go to try and describe that landscape as it is. Um, and I agree with you, his, his, his titling of the categories probably isn't, isn't, it isn't as good as his subheaders of it. Uh, so I thought his subheaders were actually much better. And the way he basically described it was, look, uh, you have a bit of software, it may have AI added onto it, uh, which these days might be any kind of software because, you know, there isn't any kind of HR tech that isn't trying to bolt some AI on top of it. That's just a, a normal thing that all of us are seeing. Um, yeah. Then he's talking about AI is built in. So this is not a bolt-on, but actually it's natively baked into what the product is all about. Um, so you might see a few, you know, the matching products are, 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 and so on have always had something akin to this. Um, and then what he calls the second generation, which I think, you know, maybe better language for, for a recruiter community is that the latest best thing, so to speak, will be it's AI first. It's basically, it wouldn't have existed at all without the AI. It's not, AI is not a component. It's the whole thing, uh, and the technology has been built around the language models. So yeah. um, that's, I think. So I think the subheaders are actually superior to in terms of its descriptive power uh, compared to his uh, the headers. But um, but yeah, that's worth wrestling with. Do read the the, the post. I, I agree with Adam. It's not necessarily um, you know easy reading. Um, but you know what? This is technically complicated, and we recruiters need to start swimming into slightly deeper waters here. We can't. <laughs> We can't sit here and be spoon-fed on it. If you can't understand it, pipe it into ChatGBT and have it dumb it down for you. Um, but go and have a, a read of this. I think it's quite an important document. Like I say, you can disagree with it after you read it, but go and, re go and read it. Um, yep. Okay. Okay. Um, Buffer uh, have produced um, an update on like how does the LinkedIn algorithm work in 2023? 
Um, the summary is it's about three important things, relevance, expertise, and engagement. Relevance being, if you write about how to shear zebras, then people that are in shearing and are in, like, I've got some sort of relationship to zebras will see that content. Um, expertise. So what's your authority on this subject? If you've never worked in zebra shearing before and you write about zebra shearing, it's not necessarily trusting that you are writing with any kind of authority. And then engagement. Engagement being, have your posts had lots of likes and shares and comments in the past? And if so, then uh, terrific. So those are the three things. I went and took a look at my feed. And the previous 20, I looked at the most recent 20 items that were on my feed. And every one of them was either a post from somebody I know, a comment or um, like or like reaction on on from somebody I know on the post of somebody else I know, or it was an advert. I didn't see anybody commenting or reacting on any posts by people I didn't know, and I didn't see any posts from people I didn't know. Now that might be because I've got quite a big network, um, but it says to me that actually one of the top three has got to be the number of connections you've got or the relevance of the connections you've got. And there's got to be something in there about the, about the volume because, as I say, I've got nothing from anybody that was a second-tier connection. Mm. Um, so uh, useful to go and take a look at. And, um, yeah, worth studying if, you're, if, if like, content and is part of your way of doing recruitment marketing or doing uh, marketing if you're a you know, provider of services or products. Um, it's worth staying on top of this, how LinkedIn's operating. More than worth staying on top of it. There's a, there's a, uh, a, a story that's going into Brain Food this Sunday about how Cisco had been training all of their employees to be LinkedIn influencers. Um, so that's 84,000 employees have been given training on how to actually amplify the Cisco brand on LinkedIn. Um, and having gone through this exercise, they're reporting things like on aggregate, they've been able to cut time per hire um, as an average by about five days um, across the entire piece. Um, so they're saying, you know what, it's, it's a team sport. You can't just have recruiters pinging messages and doing you know, the branding side. What if you got everyone to do that? Uh, and in fact, what if you got you know, really relevant team colleagues, team, team members uh, in the function that you're looking to recruit for actually talking um, on their LinkedIn about sort of the, the company that they're uh, they're currently working for super powerful so i think that actually dovetails very nicely with where we're at with linkedin and the changes of the algorithm what's very interesting folks from both adam's commentary and experimentation there and also from what we do seem to know is that linkedin's going to figure out whether you are an expert in something based on what you talk about on your um, linkedin profile so your profile page needs an audit now um, if you've changed your, your direction, you pivoted your view or whatever it is, you need to go back to your LinkedIn profile and start making sure that, okay, if you're going to talk about sheep shearing, as uh, Adam mentioned, and you haven't got that in your profile, you probably need to insert it in. 
Um, so I said, I said zebra shearing, but I mean that's just not a thing. Zebras don't grow long hair. They don't grow long hair, and I wouldn't try and get a handle on them. They're very vicious creatures, mate. Um, yeah, I, okay. yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody's going to survive that. Um, but anyway, I'll, I'll, um, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. Anyway, we're going to be talking to Andy Foote about this in a two weeks' time. He's done tons of research on this. Andy, of course, is one of our favorite guests, uh, a LinkedIn expert. Um, and we're going to just give him a one-to-one. So it's just me, Adam, and him. I'm um, going to talk this through. So make sure you sign up to that um, and keep abreast of it. I do think that's relevant for everybody. Um, okay, give us one more, Adam. Um, well, two, quickly. Oh, right, well, one. Quick. Okay, so... Um... One is because the, the fourth one could be quick. The third one is um, McK- right. McKinsey say that world superstar cities' vibrancy is at risk. Um, I mentioned la- two weeks ago that the population of New York City is down five percent and San Francisco down six percent since the start of the pandemic. And uh, McKinsey's added more uh, information to this, so. Attendance in offices in metropolitan areas is uh, 30% below pre-pandemic levels. Footfall at stores um, in metropolitan areas is down 10 to 20%. So there's less people actually going in to go to shops. Um, And demand for office and retail space by 2030 could be as low as 30% less than 2019 levels. So they put some recommendations in there around what cities should do, developing mixed use neighborhoods, making buildings adaptable. And I'm already seeing evidence of this happening, which is which is really good where a company is got, do you remember Bugsy Malone, that, that movie back in the eighties where- um, It's all kids, you know, right? Yeah, Jodie Foster's a kid and everyone's like gangster kids basically. That's right. And so it's like, you know, wild party and then the cops, the cops walk in and then all of a sudden they can flip over the bar tables and it's like, I don't know, a library type of atmosphere or something like that instead. Yeah. Well, I'm seeing I'm seeing buildings doing that already where up until five o'clock there or, or up until 8 a.m. They're available for something. And then between eight and five p.m. They're available for something else. And then at five p.m. It's like flips over and it's it's a completely different thing again. Um, and I think that's what's got to happen. Um, so. Yeah, it's a it's 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 a it's a shame because I really really love mega cities like New York and London, um, and I think I was I was with you a few weeks back and you know, I commented on it. Feels like there's less people, and I said it could be twenty five thirty percent less than 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 what I would have expected pre uh, pandemic. Glasgow feels like it's about fifty percent less in the city centre. Seriously, um, mm. and so yeah, interesting to follow what what's going on in this as well. It is, and there's, I, I didn't mention in the commentary, but there's wider implications to this as well. I mean, I think there's, there's certainly good things that can happen from the decline of superstar cities because it means that obviously we're not just like constantly, you know, pulling in um, massive amounts of talent and, and crushing people into small spaces, huge costs in terms of living and all that kind of stuff. All of that's resulting of these um, gravitational pull of these big cities. I don't think it's a particularly healthy thing to have them. Um, but the reverse reversal of that process is not going to come without some pain um, because lots of companies have organized themselves around the idea that's how it's going to be. 
Um, and there's lots of companies that are invested in commercial real estate, for instance, um, that suddenly that com commercial real estate is actually looking like a really bad bet for them. Um, and that's going to have long-term impact in terms of, you know, what, uh, how confident the bank's going to be. Are they sitting on a, an asset book that actually is going to, uh, is a loss-making um, uh, set of liabilities? What does that mean down the track? lots of things we definitely need to have mixed use uh, buildings though uh, no question about that you shouldn't be building a skyscraper unless you can convert those into apartments basically um because you might have to do it um uh, you know uh, hsbc have given up canary war uh, sort of uh, tower one or whatever haven't they there's not another bank gonna take that up um i don't, uh, I don't feel like there's gonna be a lot of demand for building skyscrapers for quite some time to be honest mm. you know unless it, unless it's emerging cities like dubai I, uh, you know, London doesn't need any more skyscrapers right now. Now does New York. Now does you know. Big turn into a hotel. I'm I'm on I'm in the Radisson right now. It's 25 stories up, right? So that's the sort of thing that I think you can you got to convert that office space into. Um, but um, but yeah, there's something needs to happen. Um, all right, give us one more, mate. Very 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 finally, I saw a really 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 brilliant two minute interview from Vicky Saunders, Yo. who was. <laughs> Uh, head of employer branding at some major organizations in the UK. And she's described the um, the, the difference between uh, employer brand, recruitment, marketing, and EVP in a very easy to digest chocolate-based analogy. See what I did there? Easy to digest. And um, you, you got to go and look at this. If you, if you want to be able to describe what's the difference between these things, then Vicky's analogy is the best I've ever heard. Very, very simple. Yeah, and I've just shared the uh, the uh, uh, YouTube uh, link into the chat stream there, so please take a look. Vicky had a really good analogy, and as I say, uh, Mars bars are a bonus. Oh, by the way, Steve Jewell, you recruit in the real estate market. You know what? I'd be really interested to know what you're seeing in there, uh, particularly in the commercial real estate sort of sector. If you do any work there, it might be cool to have a show based on this. Okay, let's accelerate into this conversation. Tech hiring landscape, what does all that look like? You know what? We're going to bring on some of our guests immediately. But before we do that, I actually need the guests to do me a favor because I can't identify you easily um, from the UI that um, uh, uh, Crowdcast is giving us. So I can... Who do we bring on first? We need to bring on Barat and we need to bring on Matt Doyle. Can I see them both? Can you both put a chat comment, please, into the chat so I can find you easily? Uh, and then I'll invite you both on. Um, actually, I can see Matt from here. So let's bring him on here. That's great. Where is Barat? I'm sure he commented somewhere. He did, didn't he? There he is. Barat, Barat, Barat. Commented. Does he come back? Right at the bottom. Yeah, got you, got you. I mean, that's crazy how they how they screwed this, man. Um, so just to explain to people who, who don't know what I'm talking about, basically, there's about 100 people watching the show, all, all of whom could be invited on screen, by the way. Um, however, the, the only names that are displayed are like 20 names, which seems to be fairly arbitrary um, as to where, how they're ordered, um, maybe on when they're logged in. Um, and I, there's no search function, so... If you're not randomly in that 20, I won't be able to pull you in. Uh, 293, quite quite right, Nathan. Um, okay, so I've invited Matt. I think this is him. Yes, it is. Hey, hey it's Barat. How are you doing? Um, Barat hey. and Matt. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. We've got you both on. Let's go to you first, Barat. Can you uh, quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What is you do? Hey, everyone. My name is Barat, and I'm a tech recruiter at Meta. Uh, I've been with Meta 
for about three years, more than three years. And before that, I used to recruit in India. And I've been in the recruiting industry for almost a decade now. Fantastic. And you are now based in Germany, aren't you, Barath? Is that right? Yes. Yes. I am based out of Germany, Aachen, Germany. Amazing. Did I tell you, did I bore you once that I actually lived in Aachen when I was a small boy? I think I did, didn't I? Um, anyway, great to see you, Barath. Um, and we've got Matt Doyle here as well. Matt, great to see you. Uh, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Hey, Hung. Hey, everyone. Uh, Matt is my name. Uh, I'm the Senior Manager for Technical Recruiting for Tenable in Emmaus, so recruiting primarily in Dublin. Paris and Tel Aviv, uh, about 20 years recruiting experience all told for my sins, about half and half agency and in-house. I'm really a financial services agency recruiter who's been masquerading as a tech recruiter for the last 10 years. So there you go. You've been faking it so long, Matt, that you know what, you've forgotten who you truly are, which is loving accountants <laughs> and getting those guys in. Um, but okay, let's, let's, let's get talking with this, guys. Tech hiring landscape. You know, we hear a lot of the, the uh, I think we all ambiently uh, sort of hear the the, 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 uh, the the situation. It's not been great year. Um, but from the perspective of companies that have previously hired aggressively for engineers and now perhaps not doing so, so much, uh, what are you seeing in terms of candidate behavior? Have you detected any changes in terms of applicant flow, for instance? Are developers more keen to get involved in job posts that you've posted? Uh, or is it the case that actually they're feeling fairly relaxed about the situation out there? Uh, what are you reading in the market uh, to date in 2023? Let's go to you first, Bharat. So uh, the good news is uh, a lot of these companies have started hiring, uh, but in very specific niche areas. Um, I've just opened up a bunch of roles but for specific location. Now, before I talk about the, the candidate side of the, the, the mindset or the, or the response, I just want to bring in a couple of pointers where from the company side, the, the first thing is companies now have realized that it is difficult to let go of people in Europe. And that is having a direct impact on where they want to hire and how quickly they want to hire. And the reason for that is a lot of these tech companies, when they announce that they are letting go of people, Europe seemed to be a big problem for them. Uh, the November layoff that happened, Netherlands is still not done with that. The April or March layoff that has happened, Germany is still not done with that. Uh, France is, is still not done with that. Spain is still not done with that. Now, what this leads to is a direct impact on two things. One, less remote opportunities because companies don't want to provide these opportunities where it is difficult for them to let go of people. Second, the because the process is still on, expect more people to be in the market very soon. So from that, the response rate of... No, no, no. Brad, Brad, stop, stop, stop. Because um, you've actually introduced a really important point. Um, yeah. which is perhaps more important than the question I initially asked you, um, which is essentially this, folks. Um, a lot of the big tech companies, obviously the U.S. big tech companies, and they made redundancies, I think, like from a mindset of, of, of at-will sort of uh, approach, which is default in the U.S., and they probably thought, yes, it's going to be a little bit harder in the EU, but they probably didn't think it would be as hard as it has been. Um, now, what you've mentioned, Bharat, is 
redundancy procedure started last year in November is still not concluded eight months down the line. <clears throat> Do you know what? What that's going to mean is that U.S. tech companies are not going to put jobs into Europe in the same way uh, as they did before. Um, they're going to think, you know what? It's a day. It's a it's a headache uh, to put a job into Europe because you might not be able to get rid of it. I'm better off paying extra uh, or whatever it might be to hire the person in the U.S. where it is more higher fire. So that, I think it's a hugely significant because let's not forget that U.S. tech companies have actually raised and elevated tech salaries significantly in Europe because they started putting in, again, U.S. kind of a compensation level type packages. Not quite the same, but certainly aggressive enough uh, to start elevating the overall landscape here in, in Europe. So, wow, we're heading for a, kind of a, a, an awakening in EU, I think. Um, it's going to be very interesting for us to view. Um, Matt, let's talk to you because you're an island and you do a lot of recruitment in Ireland. And Ireland was one of those places where actually a lot of people were recruited by U.S. tech companies, mm. obviously headquartered there. But you actually worked in Dublin in Meta, of course. Um, so um, do you actually get the sense that there's now a fear from these U.S. companies about positioning jobs into Europe and places of this type, given the difficulty of potentially letting people go? So. Yes and no. It's a bit of a fence-sitting answer, but I think if these tech companies have uh, good HR and legal advice in country, well, then their 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 current rift situation shouldn't really be a surprise to them. So if a, if a US tech company sitting there and they're shocked that oh my god, it takes so long to 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 reduce the force in France or Germany, I kind of call into question where they're getting their legal and HR advice from in the first place. So. Um, we do have a presence in, in France, for instance, we've an engineering hub in Paris, we've an engineering hub in Tel Aviv, and we've an engineering hub in Ireland. And it's different kind of paces to hire in those geos, and it's different pace, different pace to reduce and force in those geos as well. So we've seen an uptick in hiring in, in Ireland, which is one of our three hubs, uh, but we're not quite up to hiring speed yet in other hubs in, in, in Paris. Uh, and in, in in Israel, but that's actually more product driven than say specific geo or legalities or whatever it is. I mean, we we have had a, a small reduction in force over the last few months, nothing to scale that the, the likes of Meta and some other companies have had, but we have done and, and employees in those geos were affected. Um, but medium to long term, we will hire, we will go where we can get talent. Um, there is talent in, in Ireland. Uh, there's more talent. I don't know how Barath feels about it, but if you open a rec today versus a rec six months ago, there's more candidates in your recs today. It's it's as simple as that. And there is the higher quantity of applicants, but there's also a higher quality of applicants. We're can getting... I, can, can I say, Matt, can you tell us particularly what jobs you're referring to here? Um, sure. Yep. Software engineers, product engineers. You know, we want you know, back-end, front-end, full-stack, staff, up to staff level. So we want hands-on software engineers working on public cloud SaaS products. So we're, we're recruiting for the, as, as good an engineer as Barath is for, 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 for Meta. So. Yep, excellent. So basically, there is more liquidity in the market. The layoff scenario has actually injected liquidity back in meaning there's more people available, more people yep. interested. And Barath, actually, towards the end of your point, you mentioned that we can expect more to happen once these, 
you know, long-term redundancy sort of uh, 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 scenarios play out, which presumably they're going to have to turn soon. I mean, it's been six months plus, right? So at some mm. point, these people will be coming on to, uh, to the marketplace. Um, okay, very interesting. Let's, let's talk about sort of the candidate behaviors then. So I'm assuming if you're getting more uh, applicant flow and ap the quality is high, would it be also fair to say that applicants are more responsive now than they were before? I mean, do you get that sense or do you have any data behind this? Uh, nods here, but Barth, go ahead. Uh, how, why are you confident that that's the case? So from morning, uh, 10 a.m., I reached out about six people. And these, are, these were people who had prior interviewed with us. And all six of them have responded back with a positive intent and have booked a pre-screen. And this hasn't happened at the peak of hiring. It's the same company. And these were, uh, uh, some of these people were uh, uh, at a stage, in, in interview stage where because of the uh, hiring suspension, we had to stop their process. And when we reached out back to them, they are still interested. Uh, and this time we are reaching out for uh, roles or product domains. And I, uh, for just, uh, uh, for everyone, I hired product managers. And uh, when I reached out, uh, I reached out for specific domains and with specific skills. And these people responded back in like three minutes. And yeah, that is the kind of response. And the positive intent, people are interested. Um, they're like, okay, how soon can we start the process? Uh, I want to finish this as quickly as, as I can. And uh, that is something that, again, is, is a bit surprising, but not too surprising as well. Yeah, that's a really interesting signal, particularly if these people have been contacted before and you had to pause a recruiting process. Yeah. I can imagine a lot of people who have been in that situation actually, you know, potentially ignoring uh, a second secondary solicitation because it's like, oh, how dare you put me on the shelf or whatever, you know, back in the day where there was an abundance mindset, you might actually have a very negative approach to that. But very interesting to know that they were open and in fact, very, very responsive. Folks, if you're recruiting tech people today, what are you finding? Is, is your experience uh, comport with what Bharat is, is kind of um, reporting here? Are you getting quick and enthusiastic response from your outreach to tech candidates? I'd love to hear your comments. Let me know. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I suppose to, it's kind of ironic that I'm talking as a recruiter from, from Meta here because what we've noticed in, in, in our side of the house, so Tenables is a niche cybersecurity company. Uh, we're the best of what we do. We work in vulnerability management. Uh, security engineers want our product. They need our product. But we don't really have a big profile. People don't really know in the grander tech SaaS space really who we are. You will do after this call, hopefully. But what we have today is I have XFANG, apologies for using the acronym, but I have XFANG FANG engineers in all of my recs. And they're applying to our recs. 12 months ago, they wouldn't have needed to turn on their, or they would refuse to open their LinkedIn messaging services for fear of an absolute avalanche of messages from the likes of myself and my team. So those candidates are now openly applying to our recs. They're interested to come to work for us. And that's a huge change. Um, and these are people who are rift, or maybe some more may potentially be rift in, in the future or are, are concerned that they may be. So that's a, that's a definite shift. And besides the fine candidates, there's a, a, an increased level of quality of candidate. 
companies that we would have targeted in the past. So we we like engineers from X, Y, and Z. Let's go after them again. They wouldn't talk to us because they 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 were inundated with messages anyway. They're now openly applying to us either directly. They're in our recs. They're coming to us uh, on LinkedIn. So it's been a complete role reversal. And we have that. But on top of that, we have the traditional candidates, just good engineers who are looking. But also we have the, say, the master's students uh, who are in need of a full-time role and their opportunities are greatly reduced. We just did an internship uh, program for, for Ireland, France uh, and, and Israel for was about 20 roles. And we had about 4,000 applicants. So there's the volume of traffic coming in is just, it's incomparable to what it was um, kind of at the peak of the hiring boom within COVID. So like it's, it's good times in a way, but the, the flip side of that is that, and this is obviously a good thing, but it does give food for thought as well. Our time to hire has come down by about 25 to 30%. Yeah. So we're getting resources quicker. And But a, a benefit of that, of the, of the volume of candidates mm -hmm. side is that hiring managers who are in the past kind of had to meet two or three and just run, okay, who's the best, who's the best available, go with it. They're meeting like five to eight now. They're doing a five round first round second interview, a three round second interview, a two round third. They feel they have a matter of choice. So they're getting better educated on what talent's out there. They're getting more comfortable making hard decisions. So there's wins and losses all, all over the place for, for hiring managers, hiring companies, recruiters, but the, it still boils down to the fact that our workloads are between 25 and 40% less what they were 12 to 18 months ago. And if I try to fo look forward and plan, say, H2 or, or 2024, I'm not seeing how those volumes are going to spike again. I don't know what's going to be that driver for us to flip back to the kind of constant hiring mode that we would all be used to. And I think we're moving into more of a cyclical type hiring mode whereby finance will give money to, to, to teams, teams go hire, teams hire the people, teams embed them, they move on and they come back again. And, six nine months again so i think that that's a def that's a, that's something i feel that we may be going into that space um but it's definitely the the market itself is just it's it's polar opposite to what it was 12 18 months ago one thing i think that uh matt just said which is uh, i want to just dwell on slightly is uh he said that they previously at tenable weren't hiring people from fang companies but now there's people from fang companies that are actually actively applying the concept of like an employer for life has been never never been less relevant mm. than it is today. Yep, hundred percent. And I like people need to look after themselves. Um, people are concerned about their where their next paycheck is going to come from. You do have a lot of candidates maybe in the US where their their job is tied to their visa and they can't take the chance to wait for the riff. And um, I don't know if anybody saw the news in Canada or by Canada swooping in for all of the H one Bs. Um, now I think those candidates will get a shock when they see the salaries in Toronto versus the salaries in in in, in Silicon Valley. It's it's less than half, I would imagine. But these people will are in an awful situation. You 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 move or you go home, and the the money they've spent to get themselves where they are, the the, the effort they've gone through, they don't want to go home. So it, it's it, you really have to, and I don't blame them for looking after themselves and putting themselves first. So you're right, Adam. That that. The, the concept of job for life or that side of longevity employer, you, you can really see it moving out of the market on the candidate side. What's also true as well on this is that I think prior to this period um, of, uh, of obviously financial uh, retrenchment, um, the FANG candidates probably had sort of 
considered themselves only thinking about a very, very small number of companies that they mm. would potentially work for. Yep. Um, because we've, it's very difficult to compete with Facebook. Maybe only Google could do that. And if it's not Google, then maybe only Amazon could do mm -hmm. that. If not that, maybe only Apple could do that. Uh, but now it looks like perhaps that branding has, has kind of been kind of broken in a way because of the, the size of the uh, uh, reduction of force that we've seen. Um, and, and everyone is thinking, you know what, maybe it, it's not the only destination uh, to, to, to be a part of. Um, how, does that complicate your recruitment work, Bharat? I mean, do you now need to sell Meta a bit harder or, or is it still uh, got a huge cachet given, you know, what the company is? You know, it is obviously a game changing uh, business with lots of innovation, lots of brains and, of course, still lots of financial firepower. I should imagine the compact meta is still probably market leading regardless of what sort of whatever retrenchment has occurred. So uh, the obvious questions will come uh, with respect to, okay, you just let go of people. Why are you hiring again? All of those, uh, which can be answered. Uh, we've been very vocal about where we have let go of people and what we are trying to go going forward. The quarterly results kind of speaks every day the same language and uh, now that we are big on ai everybody knows about that so when we go back and say hey we are looking for someone with machine learning artificial intelligence experience they understand okay this is a company <laughs> priority so um, this is not something that is a short-term gain or short-term product that they are trying to build it is for the long term it is for that uh, the, the fundamental product that they want to build where money will come in. So this helps. Also, we can all, always say, hey, because of certain decisions, yes, we had to let go of people, but then we have added value uh, to everyone. Uh, there is about 700% rise in the stock price. That is usually uh, a good sign of the company growing, everybody trusting. Uh, so that helps. So, uh, but we will always find people where uh, uh, they are not too convinced. Uh, we can only do so much. No, I hear but what you're it saying. It is kind of going to be not that difficult when it comes to selling Meta as a product, especially uh, a couple of days back. We open sourced our uh, generative AI model. Mm -hmm. When you're doing things like this, people want to work in in those spaces. Yeah, I think Meta's, in other words, what you're saying is the brand is still powerful. I think that's probably true with, with all of the FANG type companies. But what may, may be happening in the mindset of the engineers is that they're no longer exclusively thinking of, uh, of, of that small group and investigating other businesses, maybe particularly businesses in sectors like yours, Matt, that, you know, they can see there's going to be, you know, a robust future uh, going forward. Um, okay, folks, we're going to have to move on because we've got loads of people to bring on. Let's leave a uh, final question to Matt and, um, and, and Barat on this. Um, I'm a tech recruiter. I'm still recruiting for engineers. Is there anything I should be doing differently given what I've seen in the market, what you guys are seeing in the market right now? What should we be doing if, if, I were, if I'm a tech recruiter today? Um, any thoughts on this, uh, Matt? Go to you first. Cross, cross train. Um, the, the standalone specialist in, in HR slash recruiting, is, is, it's, on, it's, it's not long for this world, for want of a better phrase. I think particularly if you're a small to medium-sized company, you need to be upskilling in HR. You need to be upskilling in comp. You need to be upskilling in you know, back office HR operation systems. You know, if you are that, if all you do is tech recruiting, you need to 
put more uh, armory in your tool belt. I've told all my team to do it. I've encouraged them all to go away and, and learn enough skill. We just can't be uh, a singular type of recruiter anymore. The market will pass us out. I, I, I barely survived the 2008 recession uh, because I had stopped being a banking recruiter because of the 12 banks in Ireland at the time, nine of them are now gone. So it just, it, it disappeared. So you have to be able to innovate. You have to be able to do other things. Yeah, very interesting. Good, solid advice there from Matt. How about you, Barad? What's your thoughts? Uh, a tech recruiter, what they sh should they be doing? Same thing along the uh, what Matt said. Uh, uh, learn new technologies and try and learn how you can implement that in your day-to-day -day life. And also, as a company, we are no longer uh, restricted to just one particular role. Uh, earlier, it was me hiring only for product managers it no longer is the case. Now I hire everything under product as a vertical. That means content design, UX design, um, data science, product managers, product marketing, and a bunch of other things. So it's, it's, even if it's tech recruiting, it's, it's a whole lot than what we were restricted to. So if you mm -hmm. are not someone who can adopt to, okay, I only hire for product manager, so I don't know anything else, then you'll be left out. Yeah, very, very interesting. Um, okay, Bharat, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Wonderful uh, to see you both on screen. Thanks for having guys. Cheers, appreciate it, guys. Cool. Okay, folks, before we bring on our next guest, we always have to do this as part of our sort of process, uh, which is, by the way, we always want to make sure that everybody in Brain Food who is watching this show gets the opportunity to continue the conversation even though we have to come off air, which we need to do so in 20 minutes. Um, today, what we want you to do is to take a moment, get your LinkedIn URL and share it in the chat stream if you're watching it on Crowdcast. If you're watching this anywhere on, on LinkedIn, as I'm sure uh, several hundred of you are, take your URL and stick it into the comment thread wherever you are watching it, whether you're watching on my uh, sort of uh, channels or in uh, Juliana Parks, and Juliana is also broadcasting this. Uh, Rob Walker usually does as well, so if you're watching it on Rob's uh, sort of channel, just share a link into the comment thread and then just connect with everyone who's on, who you see doing that. Um, worst case scenario, you walk away with 50 extra connections that care about this topic. They're all going to help you in this market that we have uh, and we're confronting. Um, okay. We're going to bring on a couple more recruiters now, this time a little bit more from the RPO and agency side. Also tech recruiters. We've heard from in-house recruiters on their side. What are they seeing? What are third-party recruiters seeing? Let's bring on our guest. Adam, you want to say something? No. You didn't? Okay, great. No. Um, okay, Ash and Tatev, we have the same problem. Can you, can you quickly comment uh, into the chat thread so I can find you? Um, and then I'll bring you on once I can ID you. Um, because I'm, I basically I can't see you on the on, on the uh, the thing here. Uh, Ash is there, great. Invite main stage. Uh, Tatev is there as well, great. Okay, too many people have commenting now. I can't bring them on. I might accidentally bring Lee Candiotti on, which would be a disaster for that both. That would be great. It would be a disaster. Be a disaster for both and Lee because he, he's refused many many times. Oh. Um, but he might accidentally say yes to it. Um, just do it. You gotta just keep inviting him. One of these days, Lee, we're gonna get you on, mate. One of these days. There she is. Ah, you hey. hey. Wonderful to see you. Um, yeah. I like your hair, by the way. It's a lot longer since the last time I saw you. I think it's yeah. Hair. I need to go to hairdresser soon. <laughs> that, that no, no, no. I, I think it's great. It goes. It seems to grow bigger and out. Uh, that gives drama. You know, this is good. Um, 
Okay, we have Tatev as well. Great to see you. Hey. And of course, Ach and Tatev, you guys. did it really well. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do some quick intros. Um, Ach, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Sure. I'm a senior tech recruiter. I'm with Level Up Ventures. We are in Amsterdam, hiring throughout the Europe, but mainly focusing on Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's me. Fantastic. Tatev, would you like to introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Did she hear me okay? Yeah, sure. sure. Um, I'm Tatev, a tech recruiter, and eventually the CEO of Metal. Can you hear me, guys? Yeah, it's a little bit choppy, but I think it's okay. Go ahead. I, I heard Tatev say that she's the CEO of Meta. No. <laughs> I think I had a, yeah. Yeah. No, not the Meta, no. <laughs> the Metal, it's a tech recruitment agency in Armenia. We, we operate in Armenia, Europe, and US. Yeah, that's right. And, and both that's these it. guys used to, used to work together, by the way. But... um. Mito, obviously, and I want to get the view from from tech, sort of the recruitment agency straight up your side. We heard from Matt, we heard from Barrett. They've got the inside view. I think it's very, very interesting. Um, however, it, they're not the only people that recruit for tech people. And what is the re- reaction uh, to uh, advertisements placed by uh, recruitment agencies, for instance? Are, are candidates speaking to uh, third-party recruiters these days? What are your thoughts? Let's go to you um, first, Ash. Uh, when you're posting an advert, are you getting inundated with responses? What are you getting? Uh, what yeah, is, your, yeah, yeah. is your feeling? I, I think the picture is quite uh, similar because we're seeing a lot of applicants and qualified ones as well. Uh, even for the executive roles, you get like, it, it hurts my heart to reject the candidates that are qualified. And uh, a couple of months ago, I will be just hoping for those kind of candidates to reply as a passive candidate. But now they are just replying on their own and there is so much choice. But something that I've noticed, and I think a lot of I've heard that from a lot of other consulting recruiters, is that the number of roles overall in the market is uh, just going down. So the the, the roles racks out there, uh, it's just less than it it used to be uh, before this year. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's what I see with the advertisements. Okay, that's really interesting. So again, basically the quality of candidates is very high. And Adam, I, I know what you're thinking on this in terms of talent pipelining and, and, you know, talent pooling and so on. Here's a huge opportunity for companies that, you know, have some sort of capacity or system to do that. Um, because right now we have a load of candidates that essentially are active and interested in having conversations with recruiters. Um, and this seems to be like quite an episodic moment. It's a moment in, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a rare moment in, 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 in the decade, so to speak. Uh, so now is the time where you can go ahead um, and, and grab those folks. So Tatev, I think you're struggling to get on. I think you've just gone dark on us and it may well be we're going to have to lose you. Yeah, we've lost Tatev, I'm sorry to say. Um, okay, Ash, you're going to have to just deal with it yourself. Um, that's okay. Um, but the volume of roles out there is low. Yeah. I think that's interesting from agency side because agents are going to know that because obviously you're doing BD, you're doing business development. Um, yeah. what, what is happening on the BD side? Yeah, it's uh, what we are not seeing is that uh, it takes basically a bit longer to uh, close the cases. And I'm seeing this on the recruitment side as well. Hiring managers are seeking more insurance, extra stage, an extra conversation before they are ready to invest into the hiring. It seems like it just become more weighted to invest even on one FTE. 
which is which is a bit surprising. Uh, but I see it is uh, it's going to change a bit on the short term. Uh, so yeah, I do agree that it's a unique moment that we need to grasp and uh, pipeline those candidates so that we have access and build a relationship before it's too too late. I've just thought about a brain food live topic, which I really think is a good idea. Like, how do you have conversations with great candidates where you don't have an immediate opportunity? Um, what is the sort of conversations you can you can have with that person in order for that relationship to be built? Um, because you know those people may be in a stressful situation; they may sort of be you know have urgency in the job search. You may not have an option to give them right now, uh, but what can you give them to support them in such a way that they actually would be very, very welcoming uh, to future interaction with you? Um, yeah, that, First thing is, of course, empathy. Like a lot of people that are getting laid off or they are looking for a new role and it takes months and months to get a new one. It's a stressful job out there. So it's first thing you do is just to to feel their pain and talk about that. And I'd say that if you ask this a, a couple of months ago, I'd say that I will talk with everyone. But now it's just not the case. You don't have the luxury of talking to anyone, everyone on the call. You just pick uh, the people that you are most uh, most probable to have roles for in the future. And you jump into a call, do you explore what exactly is that they're looking for? And uh, then you just uh, stay in touch. Uh, but of course, empathy is a big part of it. So to feel their pain. Yeah, I think yes, I think so. Just show a bit of human touch. Um, so we, we had this conversation in a brief live a couple of months ago when we talked about the psychological impact of being made redundant. In that case, we were talking specifically about recruiters, but some really interesting insights emerged from that. And of course, that applies to anybody who has in is currently involuntarily a job seeker. So not uh, job I'd say. Yeah, it's difficult. No matter how bravado or confident you might be, it's very hard when your company that you've worked really hard for um, has said, listen, we're going to have to let you go. I mean, that's a rejection. That's a deep rejection. It's very painful. Um, Tatev, I think we're back and it looks pretty solid. So let's try again. What are your thoughts on the BD side of things, um, you know, in terms of the volume of requisitions you're getting? Um, is, is there any sectors that are particularly low or lower than they were any uh, sectors within uh, uh, tech that seem to be a little bit more robust? I will agree with Arch that it, it was hard uh, on the part of the BD because right now when the companies are paying you to find a candidate, they are expecting you to do an exceptional job. Like they are expecting you to give them the candidate that doesn't exist in the market sometimes and when i was like doing a helicopter view uh, i was i was first on in the beginning of 2023 i was thinking that we don't have any roles to work on but when i was doing a helicopter view i just understood that we do have the, the positions to work on we just don't have the serial positions we, work, we used to work on because the bigger companies, they stopped, they they did the hiring freeze thing. And right now we have positions there that are like exceptional or that the companies were giving us the position they, they had hard times to fill in. So our metrics of recruitments have changed drastically. I've been trying to like uh, put on my fingers on the poles to like, do data-driven recruitment. And it was so hard because we had a case when we 
close the position of a VP of engineering within like 16 days, which is crazy, right? And we had a position that we closed uh, within nine months. We literally were pregnant with this position. (laughs) So yeah, so things have changed a lot and companies' expectations have changed a lot when they give the, 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 the roles to the, to the recruitment agency. Okay, that's a really interesting insight here. So uh, potentially this, the KPIs, the measures of what we thought were good, we need to review all of those because we're that's in a different okay. marketplace now. Um, and what, what, what was potentially, you know, 12 months, 18 months or so ago, what was a, a reasonable time to fill number? That may not be this, the right number anymore because let's say there's more candidates, there should be yeah. easier to fill. For instance, the 16-day uh, close that you mentioned, and also both Barat and Matt beforehand were saying, look, we're doing it quicker because there's more candidates. Um, I, I think, uh, uh, Ash, you mentioned that the hiring managers are also keen to maybe put additional stages in. So they're actually, even though time to fill is quicker, there's actually more stages um, because the, the, the hiring managers feel there's more choice. Perhaps they uh, no longer feel as pressured to make rush decisions, which I knew they were before. Um, I remember the best practice advice we were giving 18 months or so ago is like, look, don't wait, don't wait for candidate number two. If you saw a candidate that was good enough, you've got to go ahead and hire this person, take them off the market. Uh, you can't be waiting. Let's see some other key, uh, see some other people. Uh, but now I guess the hiring manager is saying, listen, we need to see more. Um, yeah. So we need to, as a reporting function, um, basically we need to review it because there's no point in reporting back the numbers and saying this is how it is because the the, the numbers mean different things in, in a marketplace like this. And that's got to be very, uh, very clearly recognized. So basically time mm-hmm. to fill is going lower. You have less days as a benchmark and as, a, as, as an average as well. Uh, but also I see that applicants per, per role is going higher, as, as I mentioned. But uh, something that I wanted, that I was thinking about this topic and uh, uh, reviewing the last year, basically, uh, I noticed that it is not becoming easier to uh, find the scarce talent. Like, if you are looking for a really exceptional engineer, it's still a competitive market when it comes to the offer stage. They still have a counter offer. They still have other offers on the table. Uh, it's I wouldn't say the offer acceptance rates are, are uh, insanely better. It's uh, maybe the same, I'd say. Mm, very, very interesting. So the, the super in-demand candidates will always be super in-demand. I remember having a conversation with uh, another, on another panel and the guy said, you know, that for, for that elite talent, there never is a recession because they're always in demand no matter what the situation. I think I think all of us can agree uh, that that is the case. So uh, maybe the number, to, don't be too disappointed, I guess, if the offer um, acceptance rate isn't necessarily higher because... You know that person is attractive uh, to others, and they're, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna have options. Basically, um, very Just interesting. On on that hung, I I don't think there's ever been a more important time for people to deeply consider what skills they've got to go and develop, because we are losing uh, the demand for lots of skills very fast as technology is taking over what people do, whereas we are also uh, in real scarcity for, as Ashtia said, for, for, for certain you know, jobs where there are not nearly enough people um, to, to do them. And 
I think the decisions that people make when they're 16 years old or 21 years old or whenever they leave education um, have never been more important. Yeah. Also, the ongoing self-development, it's never been more important because Agreed. it's moving too fast. Agreed. Well, let's, let, as we move on to the question, let's, let's talk about this because um, we've got to move on to, to get Sam back on. Um, any advice for agency recruiters? Uh, what should they be doing for their own? Firstly, two questions. What should they be doing for their own businesses in terms of optimizing the current situation? And what should they be doing for themselves to make sure their careers are rock solid? Uh, you go first, uh, Tatev. Um, in case of self-education, I think it's the it's a good time to build some relationships because we have some free time and more free time than we had uh, the last year. And it's always good to build relationships with uh, potential candidates because when things get better, I believe that the situation is not forever. And when things get better, um, I think those connections will be useful to hire them in, in different companies. As for um, the personal part, I think hang on there, recruiters, try to survive because I know it's hard for agency recruiters to stay in, in the line and um, I think that's it. Yeah, it's it's almost like having the confidence to 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 do that relationship building, even though there seems to obviously there's massive pressure for agency recruiters yeah. to always have deals coming in. Um, we've got to get mentally strong with that. Um, okay, Ash, mm -hmm. how about you? Your thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, I think those those are channeled into one. I'd say for personal and company consulting side, uh, I'd really recommend investing time, not necessarily money, by the way, but time into your toolbox. Uh, it's it's not only getting on to the next shiny AI tool, but it's also re revamping how you do uh, pipeline. How, for example, now we are updating how we keep the candidates in the in the CRM in the ATS files, and it's really and we are saving in the meantime, which is a fun effect, right? We are changing, we are ma making better our toolbox, and we are saving in the meantime. So my advice is to invest time into the toolbox of personally yours and uh, also uh, your companies. Yeah, very, very interesting. Um, thank you, Ash. Thank you, Tatev. Appreciate you, you spending thank some time you. with us. Wonderful to see you both. Good to see yeah. you. Bye. Very interesting. Um, okay, we have to bring uh, Sam back on. Someone wants to come on stage. Who's this? Is it Lee? Is it Lee Candiotti? No, it's not. Um, whoever it was, uh, there he is. It's Sam. There he is. We bring him back on. One of these days, Lee. <laughs> all right. Let's see what Sam's got to say. It's been really interesting hearing from all of those recruiters. Um, I think that gives us a little bit of sense as to what else, what is going on outside. I think all of us are kind of feel feel it ourselves, but it's useful to just to get different testimonies in uh, to figure this out. But Sam, you've got some data for us. Or do you want to just give us the, the overview? Like how many developers, firstly, are you talking about? What's the data set size? And can you give us some commentary on what you found? Yeah, I think um, when I'm looking at this, I talk, dial back to where Adam was saying at the start, this kind of superstar city piece. Um, so in 2021, 47% of placements were made in London. Um, in 2022, 41%. In 2023, we're down to 31%. And we've moved from 57 locations to 84 to 117. So I think that is a really tangible long-term change 
in the way in which you know organizations stop, stop. Are... this is amazing data so you're saying that on your platform we had an excessive number of placements on superstar cities like london for instance but that has progressively trended down to the point now where there are many many more placements in different cities and london's share of placements has gone from what number to what number 47 to 31 in the last yeah, year and a half that is interesting data, folks. I mean, that tells you a lot about employer branding, about where the job needs to go. Previously, if you weren't in London or you weren't in a big city, weren't interested, now it looks like you can put the job in different places and it can still work for you. So super interesting. Go ahead, Sam. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think, you know, the other thing, if you look at like the secondary hub in the UK in Manchester, 12%, 10%, 9%. So, you know, not as drastic a shift as London, but still, um, you know, pretty, pretty significant changes. So. Um, yeah, that's one thing which I really wanted to touch on. I think the other part is this concept. I really like how Barrett frames, you know, the, the redundancies which were going on in big tech. I'd always say go and have a look at big tech share price. My favorite index for, um, you know, big tech and what's going to come in the future, I think is going to be a different set of roles. Right. We've had organizations go through digital transformations. Um, you know, we've had organizations move through that from, you know, traditional businesses through to tech businesses. I think the next phase is going to be tech businesses through to AI, ML, um, you know, led organizations. I think that's going to be the next big shift. So uh, where that um, talent then sits, you know, I, we see a lot of enterprise organizations that are still going through that transformation that are actually focusing on having evergreen roles. So we're saying there's less jobs that are posted, um, but I know of, you know, jobs on our platform that's a mid-level software engineer that might have 100 requisitions behind it. Um, where they're building and they're always on hiring because they know they're going to need back end, front end, cloud, um, et cetera. So I think that's another shift. I think um, the other part of that course, you know, we're seeing a, a higher volume of applications. That's not just in tech roles, though. And part of that is driven by the market. Part of it is driven by the major players in this space, LinkedIn, Indeed, Total Jobs. You know, they are focused on getting people to apply right their, their methodology their commercial model is to drive applications so i think that compounds it as well so yeah really really um yeah kind of interesting on that point um and appreciate where you know we're at time i had a few bits and pieces to share i think one thing on on interview process you know we're talking about hiring managers being a little bit more choosy i think the entrance into that process from the technical screening stage through to final we are seeing a change but overall, people are still acting really quickly. So the, the most common across all roles on HackerJob, UK, US, interview process is screening call, tech test or technical interview, and a final interview, which is pair programming, typically of varying levels of values and behaviors. So three-stage process is still the most common. Um, yeah, I, I can't see that changing because as some of the people were talking about before, like competition for top tier talent even though there is a, a slight increase in the availability, it's still fierce, right? It's still fierce. And when you think about um, ML AI roles, that's jumped 15 places in terms of you know, its, its prevalence in terms of the top roles recruited on HackerJob. Um, and that's only gonna keep going. And if you grouped all data roles together and, and the analysis that then sits alongside that, um, you know, that's, that's number one. Yeah, so, very interesting. I mean, I, th I think the, um... Uh, the pr the procedure is interesting, isn't it, folks? The 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 this is the standard that most companies are, are using is the three step process. The very quick, I wouldn't say quick screen, but it's one of those like confirm are you interested type of type of conversations. 
then straight into a tech test. Uh, so presumably uh, this will be on some sort of tech testing platform, or maybe we're still doing kind of home ho take home tests or whatnot. If people aren't afraid of chat GPTs yeah. and whatever, um, and then it's in person to retest it again. Okay, let's actually get down and program together with someone, uh, another human being. Then we can really test the chops of uh, of the person. So, okay, very interesting. Yeah, uh, and then I think the other kind of stat which just talks to the market at the moment, and it's you know I think everybody was talking about that response rates piece. Um, that's one thing that we have seen. So we've got an 82% response rate in 2022. That's now 93% response rate um, on the platform. So people are more willing to have a conversation. Um, I think I popped in the chat or, or I might not have done when people are talking about offer acceptance. It's still not changing that latter stage. Right. I think people have maybe got less offers than they had before, less interest than they had before. But this is still a talent short market. Right. It's still competitive. And particularly in you know the pronounced areas of data, cyber, any kind of CRM implementation um, agents, you know that that is a fiercely competitive market still. So less, probably less requests per candidate, less interactions, less job offers than they might have had before at its absolute peak, but still fiercely competitive. And yeah, that's kind of where it is. How interesting is that? So it's interesting, this correlation between, I think what Ach mentioned that intuitively, there didn't seem to be any change in terms of offer acceptance. Uh, and that's uh, confirmed that you're in, uh, Sam. Sam, this is super interesting. I, I, you guys publish any of this or have you just like scripted out the, the so, so the system yourself? Yeah, I, 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 I scraped out. You, you threw me a few bullets hung. I scraped a few bits and pieces out. We've, we've definitely got info that we can share. I think on a, on a customer basis, we make it very relatable to, to each individual organization. Um, and then as part of that um, DE&I suite, which I posted earlier, it's actually then that employer benchmarking. You know, how do you perform in, in different underrepresented groups? How do they see you as an employer? What do they see as the benefits, et cetera? So aggregating that sort of data, making that a lot more visible. Um, yeah, certainly the, the path that we're going. Um, our latest salary report will be out at the end of this month, so next week. Um, and early views on that salaries are still increasing, but we're not talking, you know, 20, 30 percent as it was in some areas, um, you know, 18 months ago, you know, still faster than you know, other public sector areas and, um, you know, uh, other jobs. But, um, yeah, not as quite as meteoric as it was. Yeah, and uh, by the way, Adam, I'll let you say something in a bit. But if people, I don't, I don't want to put any pressure on Daisy and her team. Um, but um, are, are we interested in Hacker Jobs producing more content based on this data? Yes, no. Let me know in the chat. Uh, let's put some pressure on now because we want to. We want to see this stuff. It's really important. Um, Adam, you're about to say something. No. No. That's okay. That's fine. Um, okay, I think we have to close the end of the show. Uh, so, uh, Sam, thank you so much for your time. Wonderful to see you. I think everyone's going to be interested in the salary report as well. Um, I don't know whether they can early register for that or, or, or whether there's any wait list, but if there is, why don't you stick a link into the chat stream so that people can go and take a look at that. Um, we are going to, we're at Rover Time, everyone, so thanks for watching. Um, we'll be back, I think, next week, same time, Friday, 2 p.m., 
Um, we're going to be talking about fully automated hiring. Um, what does all that mean? It basically means can we take the human out of the process? This is a thought experiment that we're going to conduct with Stan Vasevich. Uh, so this is not something we're recommending. We're just trying to test the edges of what is possible so that we can get a glimpse of what that future might look like. So Stan's actually prepared a presentation for us. He's going to roll through it. Um, I might bring a few other people on board as well who've got opinions to be made uh, that they want to make uh, on a sort of whether uh, a fully automated uh, process is possible. And then we'll talk later whether it is, in fact, desirable. Anyway, that's about it. Sam, wonderful to see you on the show. Uh, you have a very good weekend. Um, Adam, great to see you as well. You have a very good weekend, sir. Um, and I think everyone else, thank you for watching. I hope you've enjoyed it. We'll see you next time. Cool. Cool. See you later, Raz. Bye. All right. See ya. See ya. Did I stop? Yeah, has that stopped recording? Yes, it has. Am I finished with live and broadcast? Let's just stop the broadcast. <laughs>